The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the gram, stunting your destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to a very special episode of Real Talk with Zuby. Now, today I am here in Melbourne, Australia for the first time. And who better to talk to than the man who directed the documentary, Battleground Melbourne. He has been fighting for freedom and liberty, not just for his state, but for his country. And I would argue for the entire wider world over the last couple of years. And this is the one and only... Topher Field. Zuby, thank you. That's a, that's a very kind introduction. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to meet you. We met briefly in Sydney at the CPAC conference, and it's wonderful to, f- to be able to sit down with you. So thank you for having me. No doubt, man. Happy to have you. And, um, well, I feel like I'm the one who's kind of being had in that sense, because I'm in your town. <laughs> I'm, in your, I'm in your country. Look, I just, I wish you could have seen Melbourne maybe five years ago, yeah. because it's not the same place. Yeah. It really isn't. I'm sure we'll get to it, but... Uh, the soul of this city is carrying some some very deep wounds as a mm. result of what's happened, and we were we won the most livable city of the world uh, award seven times. Yeah. Now, whether you think that's a you know a great thing or not, whatever, but we stood out amongst all of the cities of the world. We stood out, and I believe there were good reasons for that. Mm. And uh, a lot of that soul is gone. Man, well, we're going to get deep into all of that. But mm. first things first, I'm sure some of my listeners will know who you are. Some of them won't. But please introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. Uh, I'm Topher Field. Um, I am the director of Battleground Melbourne. That's a documentary covering sort of what I call the COVID era or the Battleground Melbourne era. 2020, 2021, here in Melbourne, we became the most locked down city in the world. We've won 10 international awards for that uh, documentary. But more importantly, it's going all over Victoria and, and changing people's hearts and minds and attitudes in the lead up to our election, which is coming up in only about six weeks' time. Mm. Uh, I'm also a multiple winner of, um, of Libertarian Awards, so I'm a Libertarian political commentator. I have been for 12 years. I am the current Australian Libertarian of the Year, as awarded by the Australian Libertarian Society. And in 2016, I was awarded the Libertarian um, Activist of the Year Award. 
and uh, my, probably my proudest achievement, to be quite honest, Zuby, uh, the award that I wear with the greatest pride uh, is actually the two criminal charges that I'm still <laughs> fighting in, in court. Uh, given to me, awarded to me by the Victorian government mm. and uh, they gave those to me because of my work in support of human rights whilst they were violating human rights and telling us that we couldn't so much as leave our houses and because I was urging people to attend illegal protests. Now, mm. protests in Australia are probably more what Americans or, or people in, the, in Europe might call rallies. Uh, I know certainly you look at BLM protests in America, they're incredibly violent, destruction of property, etc. None of that was the case with us. Mm-hmm. We were rallying. We had banners. We had chants. We were bringing our children along in the early days before the violence really, really kicked off. And because I was urging people to attend these rallies and to exercise their human right to, to be politically active and to speak their minds in, in defiance of their own government, uh, I'm currently fighting two criminal charges of incitement. Well, so, man... Over the past two and a half years, mm. I've been watching Australia and watching the world as a whole, including my own country, my own country closely, other countries closely, Australia from a distance. Mm. Now, there's a small number of countries in the Anglosphere, yep. in what, what some people would call you know, the, the West, but the English-speaking West in particular, where it was more draconian than it was in other places, yeah. especially places that stand out are Australia and Canada. Mm. I feel weird still, even though I've been in Australia now for over a week, I'm feeling kind of weird being here because, honestly, to be 100% honest, I completely had written off this country. Australia had always been on my list of places. I'd quite like to go to Australia. Mm -hmm. And then seeing what was going on in 2020 and 2021, going into early 2022, I was just like, you know what, I'm not even interested in stepping foot in that country assuming they'd even allow me to i'm just not i'm just not interested why would i travel all that distance when there's this extreme authoritarian mindset which i i didn't know existed to that degree so what was it what was it really like let's go back to the beginning actually let's go to early 2020 sure and just tell me what it was like at the beginning of 2020, when things were still normal, Mm. January 2020, Mm. no one had Mm. heard of uh, all the stuff that was going to happen. What was it like from then until when it started getting weird? Well, to be honest, Zuby, Australia owes you an apology because we put out an image to the world Mm. of this larrikin, happy-go-lucky, somewhat defiant, independent Mm. kind of image that we put out there. The tragedy is that that's always been the exception and not the rule. Mm. That isn't representative of Middle Australia. There's a, there's a quote, and I don't, I don't know who first said it, so therefore I don't know who to attribute it to, but it says, the problem with Australia is not that we're descended from convicts, but that we're also descended from their jailers. Yes. And, and this, I think, the reality of that has really been borne out in the last few years. So I already knew by, you know, 10 years ago, when I, when I was only a few years into my political commentary, I knew that Australians are unusually subservient. We are unusually obedient. Mm. And there's a wonderful political commentator by the name of Helen Dale. She's UK-Australian. She's travelled between the two. Mm. She's been on my podcast. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, she's, she's insightful, incredible mind. And, and she makes the point that in some senses we've been harmed by the fact that our bureaucracy and our government has actually been comparatively functional. Mm-hmm. We haven't had... The, the horrible fall into tyranny in our past that we've seen in other countries and other parts of the world. Europeans are very mindful of that. Mm. Central and South Americans have seen it in more recent history with their own, with their own eyes. 
uh, we haven't seen uh, very obvious levels of corruption. There have been instances of corruption, but we haven't seen it to the degree that many other countries have. And so as a result, we've become very trusting and mm -hmm. very complacent. So Australia before COVID, I would have to agree for all of our flaws, and there are plenty, was among the very best places on earth to be alive. Mm. And being born here in the 1980s, as I was, was winning the lottery. You absolutely won the lottery. To be born in Australia, anywhere from, say, the mid-1960s through to probably the 1990s, mm. you'd won the lottery. And unfortunately, we've kind of gotten complacent with that level of prosperity, that level of, of freedom. The distance that you spoke of to get here has worked in our favour in so many ways because a lot of the world's problems are a long way away. Mm -hmm. When various financial crises have happened, whether it's the 2008 GFC, whether it was the Asian financial crisis in, in the year 2000, etc., we haven't been dragged into those. Our resources sector has carried us through. Mm -hmm. And there really is, for my generation and anyone younger than me, there really is a sense of we are the lucky country. We, nothing could possibly go wrong. And so when the government began to really get aggressive about mandates, lockdowns, etc., in the early days of COVID, the default response of the overwhelming majority of the population was, this is a competent government that we know we can trust because we've never had trouble with them before and they're looking out for our best interest, so we should all just do as we're told. Mm -hmm. And that really was the starting point for the vast majority of people. Now, I, was with, I, I countenanced the idea. I mean, it's not impossible that a pandemic's going to break out that is genuinely disastrous. Yes. That's a real possibility. Mm -hmm. And I was open to that possibility early on, but the difference between me and, and so many of my fellow Australians was that I went looking for the actual source data. And by March of 2020, middle to late March of 2020, we had some really good data out of Italy, out of Israel, and out of Sweden. Mm -hmm. We had some very good data that was broken down into demographics where we could begin to wrap our minds around just how deadly is this disease and who is it deadly for? And how should that inform our response? And we had a, a terrible situation uh, in late March where the, uh, Professor John Ioannidis, one of the world's greatest epidemiologists, in fact a man that the other epidemiologists have to study in order to become epidemiologists, he was warning and saying, guys, we're making big decisions based on very little data. We need to pump the brakes here and just be a little bit careful. But over the top of him uh, came this Imperial College study by Professor Niall Ferguson. Yes. And uh, this was an apocalyptic prediction one of a string of incorrect apocalyptic predictions from mm. Professor Ferguson. That came out of the UK, right? Correct. And that was about a day after, I believe, if I have my chronology right in my head, off the top of my head, I believe it was a day after Professor John Ioannidis was coming out urging everyone, hey, let's pump the brakes here, let's, let's let the data tell us what to do. Uh, Professor Niall Ferguson came out with a computer model, which is not data. Mm -hmm. uh, and his computer model was, of course, apocalyptic because that's his stock in trade. Uh, and that then is what f caused the UK government to fold. They were originally not going for lockdowns. Yep. It was that model that caused them to fold, and it was them folding that caused us and so many other countries to fold, and, and that's when things really started to go wrong. Yeah, it was also in the UK, I think another key factor was the fact that Boris Johnson got hospitalised. Because <laughs> I noticed a massive switch yeah. in his tone and attitude yeah, after, that. after that happened. I think that, that shocked him a little. Mm. And I think there's this issue where people, with something that's as age-stratified as this, mm. I think it's what happens a lot is, and this can happen, to be fair, in both directions, is people, sure. people project their risk factor or their personal experience onto everyone else. Sure. So for a young, healthy person who is and has been awake to mm. the real information and so on, mm. they can have the idea, oh, okay, well, it's... 
pretty much nothing for me, so it's nothing for everyone. But then, and vice versa, people who are elderly or more at risk or who just got unlucky and mm-hmm. got a bad bout of it, they project that onto everyone else, and they're like, "Well, I, this put me in the hospital, yeah. or this put this person I know, you know, oh. this 75-year-old I know died or got hospitalized, so therefore." Whether you're a child, a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, we need to do this one-size-fits-all thing. You, you, you're so right. And in late uh, March 2020, I released a video. It was a satirical video, mm-hmm. um, but it had a serious point in which I volunteered to be infected with the coronavirus. Now, yes, the video is meant to be funny and blah, blah, blah. I'm arguing with myself. There's like a scruffy version of myself who's loving the lockdowns and he's drinking beers and loving being on the couch. And then there's the more clean-cut version of myself who's like, hang on, let's look at the data and understand what's going on here. But I would absolutely have followed through with that. If there had been some sort of a program whereby young, low-risk, healthy people Mm -hmm. could go and voluntarily get infected and then self-isolate so we didn't accidentally infect someone who was vulnerable, Mm -hmm. right? And then we have some level of immunity. Now, back then, we weren't sure what that exactly looked like, how long that immunity lasted for, how effective it was going to be. But we know, biology tells us and, and medical history tells us that there's going to be some level of immunity there. Once you've been infected and your immune system is fought at once, it's going to recognise it the second time. So to me, this seemed like an incredibly logical way. I will take that small risk mm-hmm. that I'm the unlucky one that dies. And I'm not one of these people that dismisses the virus entirely, by the way. Sure. Uh, I lost a 50-year-old friend of mine. I know his children. I know his wife. Um, he was fighting fit. He's fitter than me, which mm-hmm. is not saying much, let's be honest. Uh, but he's in better shape than me, um, eats better than me, was healthier than me, was hitting the gym, had all the right indicators. He got COVID mm-hmm. and it killed him. I'm not one of these people that says this is nothing. Yes. Okay? It is serious. Mm-hmm. But I'm willing to take the chance that I might be that unlucky one as part of a project to build immunity to, to protect the people that are genuinely vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Right? But, of course, that option wasn't on the table. In reality, yeah. the only option that we were given was it wasn't an option. It was it was an order: stay in your homes. You know, lockdowns save lives. Staying apart keeps us together. Like the the, the PR messaging out of this is straight out of 1984. Yes, it is some of the most absurd messaging you'll ever hear in your life. And as as time went on, and as people began to get more restless with that, it just became a case of stay in your home, or we will send the police to your home mm. to kick down your door and drag you off to jail. Like it, it, it literally escalated over time to that level, and there was no thought about the end game. This is the question that I asked in that same video in March 2020: lockdowns. What's the end game? Mm. I can understand how lockdowns might delay the inevitable. I can see how that could work, especially in a country like Australia, yes. where we own our own borders and we've got nothing but sea borders. Okay? I can understand how that could delay things. But how is it fixing things? Mm-hmm. And, and that answer has never been given, of course, because it doesn't. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that because so many people have forgotten or it's been put into this, <laughs> I don't know, it's been memory hold. Mm. The rationale for the initial lockdowns. Buying time for the medical system. Yes, it was the flatten the curve. It wasn't this is going to reduce the amount of people who get infected or even die Mm. of this virus. Mm. It was make sure the hospitals don't get overwhelmed, buy enough time to get in enough personal protective equipment. Um, It was was all the flatten the curve. I was on board that. Yeah. I was okay with that rationale Mm -hmm. for as long as that's as far as it went. Yeah. Do you know what's interesting is I was okay with that rationale, Mm. but I was never okay with anything being mandated. Yeah. I would have been, throughout this entire thing, if Mm. the situation had been, we recommend, or there is a guideline, we strongly recommend that you do this, whether it's staying home, it's 
closing a business, it's wearing a mask, it's mm-hmm. taking a shot, whatever. Mm. If it had been a recommendation, then I personally, you know, even at that stage, even though I, w- I was very skeptical from day one, sure, I would have been like, yeah, okay, what? Look, if it's, I'll mostly stay at home for a week or two. Yeah. If this is going to somehow help in some way, shape, or form, but the thing that immediately set off my alarm from very early mm. was the mandates. Even though, yes, I'd be like, okay, I'd be happy to follow this as a guideline. Once it became some type of mandatory thing, or they were making laws or create, mm. that was right off the bat. I was like, the libertarian instinct was like, <laughs> no, 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 that's yeah, not, this is not right. That's no, not the- right. And I did it, and I didn't buy into the two weeks thing. That's. Yeah. I think that's a big difference between me and other people. Is yeah, okay. they thought it would only be two weeks, and I was like, no, no, no. If you if you give them that, yeah. Given the they will take a yeah. while. This is what happened, and what happened in Melbourne especially, but what happened right around the world is going to be studied for a very long time into the future. I hope so. Because of the, the implications about human psychology mm. and how easily led we were and how keen people were to abandon their own senses. You know, don't believe your lying eyes. Mm. Believe what I'm telling you, you know. And, and this thing of it's, it's easier to fool people than it is to convince them they're being fooled. This is where we're at right now. Yes. Where governments conned people into going along with stuff that didn't work. That didn't actually help in the long run, mm-hmm. and we can talk about all different sort of, all sorts of different specifics. But there's various studies coming out saying, hey, if you compare different U.S. states, the level of lockdown really didn't make a difference. No. Uh, the, the the vaccine mandates really didn't make a big difference. Um, certainly, if it made a difference, it made a difference only in that oldest, most high risk group because mm-hmm. maybe it helps the individual that gets the vaccine, but it doesn't actually reduce. It doesn't actually help herd immunity. It doesn't help mm-hmm. to reduce the spread. All this data is becoming accepted now. We're now seeing, you know, Florida as well as a couple of European countries withdrawing the vaccine, uh, the approval of the vaccine for anyone, un- any male under about the age of sort of 30 or 40, or depending on which jurisdiction, is different ages, mm-hmm. right? Now, we were told this was safe and effective. Why would you withdraw something that's safe and effective? All of these things that were conspiracy theories yes. when we brought them up two years ago um, are now actually unravelling as facts. But there are so many people that you cannot convince them that they've been fooled. No. It's just ego at play. It's been ego. Ego has been the main thing we've been fighting yeah. for the past at least a year and a half at this point. Yeah. I have a question for, sure. for Australia in particular. So just to be clear for people listening and for myself, the way it was handled here, was it similar to the USA in which the power was essentially just kicked back to the states? In, in many respects, yes, okay. in this case. Now, our, our actual political structure is the reverse. Okay. So in Australia, uh, federal law trumps state law. Okay. But in the absence of a federal law, tr- um, states get to make their own. And because it was a political hot potato, the federal government didn't really want to step in. So, yes, it was up to individual states to decide their own response. And okay. Victoria, the state where I live, the state where Melbourne is the capital, we had the most over-the-top response mm-hmm. of them all. Okay. And when was the first lockdown? First how, lockdown. How many lockdowns were there? Were oh, there four? Is that correct? Oh, or? goodness. Uh, no, there were at least six. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, honestly, it blurs. It blurs yeah. into one. Um, there was the initial lockdown that started in March 2020. Um, that, that dragged on for some months. Uh, and then that was eased. And then when they came into lockdown number two, that's when they really, really went hard. There were curfews. Mm. There was an incident where uh, the police were investigating someone that they believed was out after curfew. That person drove their car at the police and the police drew and fired oh, their wow. guns into the car. 
Uh, I don't believe anyone was was hurt in that particular incident, but that's how high the tensions were. Yes. The police are moving in on someone because, oh, he might be out after 9pm. Is this still 2020? This is still 2020, okay. and, uh, and tensions were incredibly high. We had instances in Victoria as well as in New South Wales and other places that had other states did a better job of localising their lockdowns a little bit more, whereas in Victoria it was just, if you are anywhere in Victoria, this enormous state, yes. uh, anywhere in here, I mean, we, we, we are a similar size to the continental US, but instead of having you know fifty states, we've got seven. Yes. You know, so our states are big. Yeah. Uh, people in Texas talk about talk about how big things are in Texas. We look at that and go, "Oh, that's cute." <laughs> um, yeah. So I think, I think that's an important thing for listeners to remember because Australia is confusing because it's a small population. Mm-hmm. It's only about twenty five million. Twenty five, twenty six. Twenty five, twenty six million. Yeah. So just New South Wales, which is mm. one state of seven in Australia, is bigger mm. than the whole UK. Mm. And the UK is four countries with about 66, million 67 people. million people. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think when we think of Australia, it's funny because it's a small country population-wise, but it's gigantic. Yeah. It's about the size of the USA minus Alaska in terms so of geography. So I, I don't know if it's still true, but if you rewind about 15 years, there were two cattle stations in Australia which put together other size of Texas. Okay. Two cattle stations. Cattle stations? Yes. Yeah. What is a cattle station? So like it's, a, a, it's a, a ranch. Like a farm. Okay, a got farm, it. Got it. Right? Okay. Uh, which those two put together, obviously, this is just open grazing, no fences, no whatever. This is just open grazing land. But those two stations put together are about the size of Texas. Wow. Um, now, that was 15 years ago. These things get sold and bought and cut up and what have you. But just the, the scale of things here is on mm. another level entirely to what, to what people expect. But here in Victoria, we had a situation where if you were in Victoria, you were now subject to these insane curfews. Uh, we, they then tried to bifurcate the state and that we were having more outbreaks inside metropolitan Melbourne than what we were outside of metropolitan Melbourne. And so they instituted what's called the Ring of Steel. And this was a military checkpoint. They had the army on these checkpoints wow. stopping people and, and without irony saying, papers please, mm-hmm. show me that you have the right government approved form that gives you permission to travel from this to the here to there. Mm-hmm. With no sense of irony, no sense of history, yeah. no sense of understanding what it was that they were replicating. I mean, this is this is straight out of out of you know uh, what is what's his name, Colonel Colonel Clink. I mean, this is <laughs> this is horrifying historical analogies here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we did that to our own state. And when did that begin? Was that the second lockdown? That was no. Well, that that happened a little bit later. So the okay. second lockdown introduced the curfews, shutting down of businesses, okay. etc. And then things escalated bit by bit, and, and, and lockdowns did end, and we ended up with number three, then we ended up with number four. I have a feeling, and I didn't, I didn't specifically go through line by line before this, this, document, uh, this um, interview, so I apologise if I've got the details wrong, but I have a feeling it was around about lockdown number four that we finally saw things like the shutting down of children's playgrounds. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, now for, for context, okay, that sounds absurd, but yeah. understand the context here. We were locked in our homes 23 hours a day. Yes. You could only leave your home for one of four approved reasons, to seek medical care, mm-hmm. um, to, to do essential shopping, to do essential caregiving uh, to others who couldn't look after themselves and, and for like domestic violence or escaping a situation like that. Yes. Oh, and, sorry, and for exercise. You could mm-hmm. go for one hour, one hour for exercise and you had to stay within five kilometres, about three miles yeah. of your home yeah. during that time. Now, this is, in, this is a city of four and a half million people. This is the world's most livable city. Supposedly. That this, supposedly. <laughs> that this is happening within. And then, with that already in place, the government then says, you know what, we haven't gone far enough. 
there are people who are going to playgrounds with their kids who are mm. otherwise locked inside the house 23 hours a day. You know, they tell us about the health impacts of obesity. Mm. They tell us about the health impacts of too much screen time. They tell us about the importance of socialising your children and these sorts of things. And then they say, you know what, we haven't done enough. We've only locked you in your home for 23 hours a day. Let's make sure that in that one hour where you come out of your home, you can't even go to the local playground. Yeah. It's, we lost our minds. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff you're describing also happened in the UK. Mm. One of the big differences, though, mm. is that in my country, it, was, it wasn't enforced. Yeah. There wasn't the enforcement level. There was certainly no military. Yeah, yeah, but there yeah. weren't these police checkpoints and mm. helicopters flying around and this and that. So there was a time in the UK, I mean, there was a very long lockdown from end of, let me get this right, late December, after Christmas 2020, yeah. up until around May yeah. 2021, that was, the long- spring. Yeah, yeah. that was the long. Yeah, that was the longest and harshest lockdown in mm. the UK. But even then, if you wanted to go out, everything was closed in terms mm. of the shops and mm. the you know, fun things you can actually do. Mm. But there was no one who, you know, if you went out and, and walked, walked around outside for yeah. eight hours... Yeah. No one is going so, to stop you or So let me you. give you an example. We literally had police, again, without any sense of irony, mm. stopping people who were walking with a coffee cup in their hands and I, no mask I saw videos. On. I saw videos. And they were checking to make sure there was still coffee in the yep. cup. These are grown adults who have grown up, gone to school, some of them have gone to university, then gone to the police academy, wanting to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And they get the order. You're going to start checking people's coffee cups. Yep. And they go... Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I sure am. It's scary, isn't it? I put on the American accent. But like, obviously, <laughs> I'm talking about Australians here. It's, it's terrifying. And yeah. I think it really cuts to the heart. I see in the US a lot of this sort of, there's this tension between the back of the blue, thin blue line kind mm. of idea. And then this idea that, oh, well, our boys in blue wouldn't obey a government tyranny. Mm. Excuse me. They will. Yes. The vast majority of them will do exactly what they're told and they won't even be aware mm. that they might be doing something wrong. They are not morally engaged in the question of whether or not it's right or wrong. It's just what they're told to do. Yeah, yeah so in your documentary, Battleground Melbourne, which mm. is very, very well done, by the way, Thank on you. that. appreciate that. One of the parts that I found most interesting was there's a, a small segment, I think it's just filmed with a camera phone, mm. where someone just is chatting to one of the police officers yes. on, on a level and is just kind of like, why, why are you doing this? And there's this very human moment where the police officer admits that he's tired of the lockdowns and doesn't support them and he doesn't want to be out there doing this thing, mm-hmm. but he has to make money and take care of his family. He's just doing his job. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the guy he's talking to and confronting is out there because he wants to just be able to do his job and make his money and feed his family. And uh, of all the shocking and crazy scenes and interesting mm-hmm. testimonies, that was one part where I was like, man, that is, that's, the, that's how they get you. That's the Correct. conundrum. That's, that's where the people in power are able to use... One of the darkest things about it is you're essentially taking what I would call a positive quality and Mm. moral duty. I want to provide for my children. Yes. And you're weaponizing that. And you're pitting the police against the people both based off of this Mm -hmm. imperative 
Yeah. And there's something extreme. I mean, I don't know. I don't know to what degree that was masterminded and intentional, but it's there's something incredibly dark about it. It's actually. Machiavellian, yeah. and, and, and it's brilliant. It's yeah. brilliant politics. Um, I, I bring it back to uh, there's a when the prophet Samuel, when the, when the children of Israel come to the prophet Samuel in the Old Testament and say, "We want a king. Mm. We're not happy with the judges' situation. We want a king." And and Samuel goes to God and says, "Hey, they want a king." And God says, well, this is obviously idolatry. Um, it's what their fathers did when they built a golden calf in the wilderness, etc. He goes through that. But then he starts to talk about the consequences of having a king. And he talks about taxes and he talks about raising armies. And he talks about all this sort of stuff. But the bit in there that fascinates me is that he says, the king will have captains over a thousand and captains over 50. And they will take 10% of your grain. They will take the best of your produce. They will take your sons to be in your army. And the realization that when you accept this kind of authority over your life, Mm. that authority is going to appoint people who get special privilege and special power and special protection. And those people will turn against those that don't get that special protection Mm -hmm. from that king or from that government. And that's what we saw where these people are in special positions of privilege. They are regarded as essential workers. Yes. And if you were considered not essential, now consider, the, just put aside religion, put aside, consider the human rights implications yes. of declaring someone to be non-essential. Yes. Okay? But these people were essential. And for as long as they did what they were told, they kept that paycheck. And they kept putting food on the table for their kids. And their wife wouldn't divorce them because they could pay the mortgage and, and everything else. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and the point that you made is exactly the same as, as the one that I make in the docker. This is genius. This is so Machiavellian that we are pitting the, the public who want to be able to do what the police are doing yeah. against the police in pitched battles on the street. Yes. And both sides are there for the same reason. Mm-hmm. They just want to provide for their family. And the extra layer here mm. is that police being public servants... They are, they are paid by the population. So your tax money, your taxes from your labor are paying for them. The police are supposed to work for you. Preach it, yeah. The police Preach are supposed it. to work for you. The politicians are supposed to work for you. They're not meant to be these domineering, callous soldiers who fight you. They're supposed to be public servants who represent and protect your own fundamental human rights. And... I, I, you know what? I think one of the problems, and this is not unique to Australia at all, sure. but I think across the entire West and perhaps across the world is people on both normal everyday citizens mm. and those in power, be they um, state, be they any, any type of government official, politicians, police officers, and so on. I think people forget, or perhaps didn't know and really understand to begin with, mm. what that power balance is supposed to mean like most people don't even think about the fact that you pay police officer salaries or that you pay politician salaries right there's this idea that they're just this sort of separate class of the elites yeah and you're just a peasant it's like no that's not that's not how the dynamic is meant to be i'd go a layer deeper than that okay all of their power comes from powers that already existed in common law and was held by the common person yes right the power of arrest wasn't invented when the police were invented by peel in in the uk Mm -hmm. right the power of arrest already existed you could detain somebody if you had reasonable suspicion that they were guilty of a crime you could detain them in order to bring them before the village elders or whatever it may be whatever the structure may have been in your particular case and that was a recognized right under Mm -hmm. common law you had
had the right to use lethal force to protect your life and the lives of those that you loved. Yes. The police's um, authorization to use lethal force is not because they're police. It's because they actually are, are exercising in, in public the rights that we all hold in private. Mm. That's mm. actually where it comes from. Yep. And one of, the, one of the crucial things that, that I just wish the world could understand, you cannot give to somebody else power that you do not have. Now, stick with me here, right? Mm. This is a slightly esoteric, tangential thing, but I'll, I'll bring it back. You cannot delegate to someone power that you do not have. You cannot transfer to someone's bank account money that you do not have, Right? So if we are able to give the government power X, that means that we as people had that power to begin with. Mm. Otherwise, we couldn't give it to them. Yes. And there isn't this idea. Some people think that, oh, yes, one person doesn't have that power, but a thousand people have that power. Well, mm. hang on. I don't have the right to rob you legally. Mm. So how does it make it right if a thousand people vote for one person who then delegates their, you know, their, their nominated mm. person to go and rob you? Mm -hmm. It's still wrong. Yep. Right? So we can only delegate the power that we have. And that power doesn't aggregate up. It just remains as it is. Yes. So any powers that the government exercises, what the government is saying is that we have those powers. Now, of course, it's not mm -hmm. in practice. Mm -hmm. But morally speaking and logically speaking, as we understand where government power comes from, that's what they're saying. And any time we say to the government, government, I want you to go and do this thing to that person, we're claiming to have that power to do that ourselves. And if we thought of it in those terms, we'd be horrified by who we are, mm. by what we're asking, by what we're demanding to be done to other people. We'd be like, no, I would never ask you're for that out, to be done. But it. you are yeah, you're asking it. for that to be done. Yes. You're outsourcing it, absolutely. And so therefore, th this discussion needs to be brought all the way back to what power does the individual have? Because the power that the government has cannot exceed the power delegated to it by the individuals unless you accept the idea that government gets to govern just because. Yes. If you abandon the idea of the consent of the governed, yes. of, the government, of the people, by the people, for the people, if you mm -hmm. abandon all of those ideas, mm -hmm. then you could create a, a framework in which it might make sense for the government to have yes. all these other powers. In which case you've now completely removed yourself and you've legitimized from what a liberal democracy Correct. It's, it's is a, supposed it, to be. You, you enter immediately enter a might-makes-right philosophy. Yeah. Whoever has the power to exercise power mm -hmm. gets to do whatever they want, and they're right. Yeah. Uh, if we cling to any kind of a liberal democracy, any kind of power from the people and for the people idea, then the power of the government must be limited by the power that the people themselves hold. Yeah. And the minute you allow the government to overstep that mark, you allow them to step to some very small degree into tyranny, into might makes mm. right. And that's a very dangerous place to go, and that's where we are in the Western world today. Yeah. I love the way you've explained that, because this is why so many people don't, quote unquote, get it, right? Because yeah. if you oppose lockdowns, mm. when, if you oppose mask mandates, mm. you oppose vax mandates, you oppose this coercion, that coercion, people, the average person assumes you are, they, they can't draw the distinction between what we're genuinely opposing, mm. which is linked to what you just described, yeah. versus the thing itself, yeah. right? So. Yeah. If, I, if you say you are opposed to mandatory, coerced, mm, mm. bullying, shaming, mm. you know, ostracizing people, segregating people, whatever, on the grounds of whether or not they've taken a particular injection, people are like, oh, so you're, you're anti-vax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, so, you, yeah. so you're against the... 
right? Or you're anti-mask. I'm like, what, what does anti, anti-mask, what does that even mean? <laughs> that, right? it, it, it's so weird because many terms have been invented yeah. over the last few oh, years. Yeah. I mean, in 2019, <laughs> if I said, you know, I opposed mandatory facial coverings in public. Mm. Keep in mind, I grew up in Saudi Arabia. I grew sure. up in the Middle East. I remember not so long ago mm. where people had, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe that they, they forced people to, you know, cover their faces in public or... Well, look you know, at the right Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh, they're, they're making some... And then, oh no, this is different. This is science. This is mm. the science, mm. science. Mm. And I'm like, if you oppose that fundamental concept, right? It, it's weird because people will get it in some cases. They'll be yeah. like, oh, okay, I understand the voluntary versus involuntary aspect sometimes, but yeah. then other times they just throw it out the window. And if you're like, wait, that thing should not be mandatory, that doesn't mean... Firstly, it certainly doesn't mean I'm not saying people shouldn't be allowed to do it, right? Yeah. If you want to wear a mask while you're jogging outside, I'm... Be my guest. I, I've told zero people... <laughs> I, I've, I've accosted zero people for wearing masks, and I've accosted zero people for not wearing them. Yeah. I've accosted zero people for taking the shot. I've yeah. accosted zero for not. Like I Same. don't. I'm like, yo, that's that's on you. That's yeah. up to you. I don't. There's also this arrogance with it, mm. because, and and this came from the politicians as well. Because I don't know your situation. Correct. Right. I don't know your health history. Yep. I don't even know how old you are. I don't know what comorbid- comorbidities you may have. I don't who, know who your you living situation. With, who you work yeah, with? Who you, I don't know. Yep. I, I don't know any of this. I don't even yep. know your name. So how am I gonna assume? T- to me, it's like I've used this analogy before that it's like, um, you know, even when it comes to something as simple as food, mm. right? Let alone let alone a drug. Let alone something you inject into your body. Yeah. We all understand everybody is different. Mm-hmm. I like peanut butter. I enjoy Same. peanuts. If you made peanuts mandatory, yeah. you're going to kill some You're people. going to kill a lot of people. Yeah. You're not going to kill most. Yeah. But you're going to kill... So when it comes to eating peanuts or having mm-hmm. peanut butter, it has to be a choice. Yeah. It has to be an option. Like we, we understand this with food and drink. Yeah. Even the most basic things... Mustard. There's someone out there who can be killed by mustard. There's someone yeah. out there who you can kill with wheat, yeah. right? So, yeah. so, yeah. so it's something that's far more complex and pharmaceutical and so on. I'm like, yo, guys, it has to be a choice. You can't, yeah. be, you can't be forcing this on yeah. people. And also, if it's what you're saying it is, mm. you wouldn't need to. Like, to me, that was, a, that was another alarm because it's like, well... I'm very, very health conscious. You mm. alluded to earlier, you're, you're right? Far more than I am. I'm yes. very health conscious. <laughs> so, and, and and I've never in my life needed people to force or bully or coerce mm-hmm. or shame me mm-hmm. or incentivize me or to to do something that is genuinely good for me. Like yeah. I know I know what's good for my health better than 99.9 percent of people out yeah. there. Yeah. Right. So when someone's there who, prior to this time, especially never gave never gave a crap about <laughs> health mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. isn't you know, a walking exemplification of, of a healthy individual and that's dictating to everyone. And I'm just like, what is going... Yeah. What is Look going at on? Novak Djokovic. Okay, the tennis player. Yeah. Trying to come and play. One of the, the fittest people in the world. One of the fittest and healthiest human <laughs> beings on the planet who could test negative to the virus as many times as you like. Yeah. So he's not bringing it into the country, no. right? Not allowed to play. No. Because it hasn't had the jab. Yeah. And, and this very clearly demonstrates that it's not about health. It's about obedience. Yes. And I want to touch, if, if, if I may, I want to go on another little tangent here into some of the psychology of this. Please do. Because what we found, and, and you, you brought it up earlier with the, the, that video of the police versus the protester and just sort of when they actually had that moment where they talked it out, mm. some really powerful, profound stuff came out in that moment, in that video. Um, but we found ourselves pitted against our fellow citizen. 
It was our neighbour. It was a person across the road. It was the other mums and dads at our kids' school. Mm -hmm. It was the shopkeepers. We were pitted against everybody. And the psychology of this is really important. And I think this is one of those things we were talking before we started filming, that this is going to be studied. The psychology of this is going to be studied for a mm -hmm. long time. And I want to put this on the table as a, as a subject for study. You're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. The idea that this sort of this, this triangle down the bottom is your basic survival needs, oxygen, food, water, shelter, yes. that sort of stuff. And as you move up, you get to things that become more optional, but in many ways more satisfying, mm -hmm. things that, that, that have a higher value to us as human beings once those basic needs are met. And then eventually at the very top, you've got self-actualization, this sort of pinnacle of living, where every waking moment you're living your best life. Yes. And the reality is most of us are somewhere in the meat in that sandwich. There's, there's very few people in the Western world, not none, but few people in the Western world that are genuinely struggling for survival. Yes. And by nature of life and human nature, there's very few people that are living self-actualization. That's just unfortunately how it is. Mm -hmm. So most of us are the meat and the sandwich there. Now, we're all living our mundane, mediocre lives, doing what we think is best for us, trying to achieve better things, blah, blah, blah. But we're all somewhere in that mediocre middle. Then along comes COVID, and a fascinating things ha thing happens. Lockdowns, shopkeeper, you're not allowed to open your shop. Casual worker, you've just lost your job, etc., etc., etc. A whole bunch of people get taken out of the middle and shoved towards the bottom mm -hmm. of that hierarchy. Now, they hadn't thought about whether they're going to be able to pay the rent this month for years. Not since they got that promotion, not since they got that whatever. That was yesterday's problem. Now, suddenly, it's today's problem in a very real way. They've been pushed down. Mm. But what's fascinating is what happened to the other group of people, the ones that were laptop workers or on welfare or retirees that weren't pushed down and worried about their survival, okay, the police officers, they were given a gift, an opportunity, and the psychology of this is fascinating. They had the chance to move up yes. towards self-actualization with a greater sense of purpose, a greater sense of belonging, mm -hmm. a greater sense of meaning in each and every day, and it couldn't have been easier. You just have to sit on the couch and play that damn computer game. Yep. Right? That's yep. all you have to do. Yep. And you are now saving grandma. Yep. They have, honestly, as we, as we unravel this and we move on from this, what we're up against are not people that agreed with the policies. We're up against the psychology of people who just lived the best two years of their life. Yes. They've never had such a sense of purpose, of meaning, of belonging. As Moral what they superiority. Had. Moral superiority. Yes. And here's the thing, they know they'll never get it back again either. Yeah. That's it for them. That's the peak of their life. Mm -hmm. And that's the psychology that we're now up against. And that's why it's so hard. We bring up fact after fact after data after study, and it just doesn't seem to change people's minds. It's because it was never about the data. No. It was about the fact that they just lived the most meaningful couple of years of their life. And they, when you say that was a policy mistake, they hear you were not just a part of this most incredible movement that saved grandma. That's mm -hmm. what they hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've met. I, I, I was making those observations like that on Twitter over the mm. last two and a half mm. years. And it's been such an interesting psychological study yeah. for those of us who wanted to see it and wanted to learn Willing. from it. To me, the yeah. thing that's been like over the past two and a half years with a lot of the commentary, I assume probably quite similar with you, is mm. I have I've very you know, I always get, oh, you're not you're not a biologist. You're not a virologist. You're not. Sure. But I barely talk about the virus. Mm. I don't think it's that interesting. Mm. What I talk about is the psychology, mm. the socio-cultural factors mm. around it, individual psychology, group psychology. Mm. Not that I'm even some type of someone who's formally studied this, mm. but just as someone who's interested in humanity Human and nature. trying to understand what's going on, why it's happened in the past, 
-hmm. what could cause it to happen again mm -hmm. in the future. Mm -hmm. Just trying to understand these flaws and mechanisms mm -hmm. in the way that our brains operate and how we relate to one another. Yeah. Another point that I've made before is that it's clear that I think there was this I think that the the science and this Covidianism, <laughs> I, I think it played the role, and I say this as I say this as a as a Christian as a religious person, but mm. it supplanted the religious zeal and fervor and ideation mm -hmm. that I believe pretty much all human beings have in their core, mm -hmm. and they latched onto this thing just like people can latch onto it with social justice or with another or with a political ideology or something, mm -hmm. and people essentially started behaving in this sort of inquisition-type mentality of we, you know, just hyper-tribalism yeah. coupled with supreme perceived moral righteousness, yeah. and therefore that you, have an out, you now have an out-group, mm -hmm. and the out-group is the enemy that must be destroyed, discriminated against, segregated, demonized in the most awful ways. It doesn't matter if that's your brother, your sister, your parents, your son, your daughter, a friend you've had for 20 years, it doesn't matter. They didn't take the shot or they won't wear their mask or they're not 100% in support mm. of the lockdowns. Mm. This is your enemy. You, you know, you, you can't. And this happened all over the world. This was something that um, I've spoken to some people here in Australia and I, I get the perception that some people think that was something somewhat unique to hear. And I'm like, no, man, I, that was... That psychology was... That universal. was everywhere. It was all across Europe. It was in the USA, in Canada. Mm -hmm. It was in South America, Central America. It was... And it got scary. I mean, 2021, I think people have forgotten mm. how how gnarly and how <laughs> how evil some... Like, people got evil. It got vicious. Yeah. It got vicious. It got it got really, really nasty in some places. If you if you go and you look at some of the articles that were coming out, mm -hmm. things people were saying even mm -hmm. on television, mm -hmm. the language, the red I mean, look, I'm I'm pro freedom of speech, but people want to talk about quote unquote hate speech. People want to talk about dangerous rhetoric. I'm mm -hmm. like, yo, are you listening to <laughs> what is coming out of some of these people's uh, mouths? I'm uh, like, this is this is horrific. Yeah, this is awful. And they're like, oh well, you know, you should just get the shot. That's like, are you, how are you not, even if you think, even if you think that's the best option, how are you not hearing for people to call, people should be advocating people be denied health care, yeah. denied um, full participation in society, yeah. not being allowed to go to, go to the shop, go to restaurants, put fuel in their cars. It's, it's segregation, pure and simple. Pure. Whatever the specifics may be, mm -hmm. they want, they're advocating for a segregated society. Yeah. Now, I, I would love to go deep with you on, on the Christian religious aspect of it, but first I want to respond. You, you were saying before um, about how you were focused mostly on sort of the psychology yeah. and that sort of stuff. I was focused, I think, mostly on the policy. Mm -hmm. And what we saw in Australia and elsewhere was politicians saying, we're just following the science. As <laughs> though that therefore, as, as though the science was, here's the data, therefore this policy. Yes. As though it was as clear as that. Yeah. Right? But there's two problems with that. Number one, science and policy are two very different disciplines. Um, and number two, the, the politician's job is to do something that the scientists do not do, and their job is to not do. Their yes. job is to look at the data, analyze the, 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 the maths of it all, and come forward with recommendations. 
the politician's job is then to overlay that with the sociology, the psychology, the, the, the economy, mm-hmm. all of these other human aspects, rights. human rights, yeah. and come up with a balanced response. Yes. So this idea that I, the politician, have been removed from the decision-making process because science, therefore, yes. right, is nonsense. It's a yes. complete capitulation. It's cowardice yes. on the part of these politicians. And even, even, if, even if the science were accurate, which mm. it wasn't, mm-hmm that still would not be correct. the correct approach. Correct, yeah. absolutely. Now, if I may, um, because I don't get the chance to talk about this very much, I'd sure. love to talk for a minute about sort of the, the, the Christian aspect of this. Um, I, I, I go right back to, and, and I brought it up before, Samuel. Um, the children of Israel, God instituted for the children of Israel what I would consider to be the most libertarian form of government that has ever existed on earth. And people get shocked when I say that okay. uh, because of the specifics of the rules that were in place. But let's talk about the system that was in place for a moment. God gave, gives them a bunch of rules that they can read in three days. And we know that because they did. Every year they got together and they read, all the males read the entire law in three days. Uh, try reading the law in three days in America, the UK, Australia, etc. <laughs> right? Okay, you could not read it in a lifetime because there's more being written all the time. And then, then you've got to read all the different legal judgments and everything else to understand how to interpret the laws and all of the, the regulatory bodies as well. It's, it's impossible. They had three days worth of laws. That's what I'll call it. Three days worth of laws. You could read it in three days. And there was no mechanism for creating new laws. Mm. In the system of judges, there was a mechanism for dispute resolution when someone was accused of having transgressed the law. There was no mechanism for making law. So God said, here are your laws. It's three days worth. Mm -hmm. Not only are they your laws, they're all the laws you'll ever need. That was his position. And people left each other alone unless someone actually had an issue with someone breaking those laws, in which case they went before a judge. It's the most libertarian system of government where it wasn't no government, Mm -hmm. but it was just a a system of laws and a legal system to to arbitrate disputes. The children of Israel come along to Samuel and they say, hey, listen, we want a king like the other nations have. God's response, as I mentioned a minute ago, this is the same idolatry of their fathers when they made golden calves in the wilderness. So desiring more government than what God intended is equated directly with building golden calves. Mm. And that's God who did that. Mm -hmm. If you are not happy with the kind of government that God instituted and God said was sufficient for fallen man, because let's not forget, they were fallen men, Mm -hmm. right? If you're not happy with that and you want the government to do more, then actually God says you're committing idolatry. You are worshipping that human power rather than God. I'll take it further. What are the names that God had in Hebrew? Jehovah Jireh, which means my provider. Jehovah Nissi, my healer. There's a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. The giver of wisdom, uh, the the defender, etc. Who do we look to now for all of those things? For a lot of people, it's the state. It's the state. We look to the government to fund all of our hospitals. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have hospitals. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about where the funding and the organization comes from and all the approvals of all the different medicines. The government has their finger in every single aspect of it. Schools, it's the same thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't have schools and universities, but why is the government the one that decides whether or not they're accredited, whether or not what they're teaching is correct or best or, ide- or the ideal curriculum? Why does mm-hmm. the government get to do that? That makes no sense at all. Mm-hmm. And God never intended for that to be the, the, the case. We were supposed to be looking to him and studying him to understand medicine and education and all of these things and the best ways to actually practice those, yes. not to our government. I would argue that the mo- from a Christian perspective, the most urgent crisis of our time is idolatry. Mm. It's rife in our culture and it's rife in our church. And there needs to be a, a lot of repentance of idolatry, amongst, particularly amongst the churches that went along with all this yes. nonsense, right? Yeah. But let's be honest, the problem started decades ago. The problem started probably centuries ago, if, mm. we, if we're honest. 
that we have supplanted God with government and we now actually have a form of genuine state worship. Mm -hmm. If you understand what God was and what he called himself and the form of government that he instituted when it was completely up to him and you compare it to today, we worship the state. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. I mean, I've made this point before, which is that regardless of someone's religious beliefs, mm. there has to be something at the top of the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are someone who is traditionally religious, the answer to that is simple, God. Yep. God trumps myself, he trumps family, he trumps country, he trumps yep. any government, yep. he trumps any other ideology. God is at the top of the hierarchy of yep. command of authority. Yep. If theoretically God is removed from there, there's mm. still it's still a hierarchy. There has mm. to be something mm. at the top. You can't mm. just have a vacuum. Mm -hmm. There has to be something. Now, I'm not saying what's at the top has to be bad, but in many cases, it ends up being the government mm -hmm. or it ends up being yourself. The mm -hmm. former results in various degrees of authoritarianism yeah. up until complete totalitarianism and tyranny, yeah. and the latter tends to result in nihilism, yeah. right? Or just just, uh, just liber libertine yeah. behavior, yeah. right? If you, I, I, you, you yourself are essentially he, at the hedonism, top. pleasure-seeking. Yeah, yeah, hedonism. Yeah, but, but there has cost to anyone yeah, else doesn't matter. Yeah, but there yeah. has to be something at the top. So something I see that's happening particularly in the West over the last few decades is people, you're seeing that, you're seeing the manifestation of that. You're seeing what oh, yeah. happens when different things are put at the top. You see what happens when woke ideology gets put at the top. You see yeah. what happens when statism is put at the top. Yeah. What happens when, uh, you know, worship of the self or consumerism or mm. materialism mm. is put at the top. And another thing that's interesting from a sort of more spiritual angle as well is something that was revealed over the past two and a half years to me is the, I think this is also tied to the fear of death. Very much so. I noticed I that, so if you think for the past two and a half years, People have been behaving as if mm. nobody used to die prior to 2020, mm -hmm. right? As mm -hmm. if we, were, we all used to be immortal, <laughs> and then this thing came along in 2020. Every death is and, a tragedy. Yes, and fundamentally yeah. shifted. Uh, yeah. Wow, we, people die? <laughs> right? Like, no, but, but that's really how... It, it, <laughs> you're right. right? I'm like, 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 you're that, right. That's how it's been. <laughs> and it's been weird to me because I've been like, look, I'm not... I'm not here saying, oh, I want people to die. I want people. I'm, yeah. I'm just like, this is not new. Yeah. So, so this is one thing that's been crazy. I mean, I don't know if people know. And another thing I found is people don't know general statistics. So yeah. every year around the world, over 60 million people die. Typically 60 to 65 million per I, year. I didn't know that till COVID started. And I yeah. actually looked it up specifically uh -huh. to get context for the, oh, a couple of hundred thousand people have died of COVID now. Mm -hmm. You know, in the early days, over over six months. Okay, yes. well, so far about you know twenty five million people have died in total. So yes, so of other things. So at this point, you, it would be fair to estimate about in the past two and a half years, about one hundred fifty million people have died Something overall. Like yeah. So yes, the COVID numbers are sketch. Yeah. And we'll probably never get real ones from versus with and so on. Yeah. But even if it's say, I think the number now is say six to seven million. Yeah. Because I would get people like, Zooey, I can say this killed 7 million people. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what, what, something that's happened, and again, I don't think people realize they're doing this because it's mm. not conscious, mm. but yeah. it was also decided that dying from or with COVID is somehow worse yeah. than dying of heart disease <laughs> or cancer <laughs> or suicide or a car accident. Or it, 
That, that's how everything's been being approached. Can I pause you because there was yeah. an article in Australia about an individual who died of COVID and the article actually said if he hadn't been vaccinated, it could have been worse. Oh, I that. Saw was that. actually I saw that. written by the journalist. I did see that. I did see that. <laughs> Sorry, continue. I just... Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's, there's just, it, it's been very strange because, number one, there's been this just idea as if people weren't aware of mortality before. Yeah. yeah. Um, the the sort of ranking of oh well it's somehow worse to die of this particular virus or yeah. with this particular virus yeah. than yeah. all the other things I mean what about the flu lots of questions there um, but then also I, I just learn how part of I think of the result of the secularization of society mm. is the discomfort around mortality I, I learn that people are extremely uncomfortable yeah. now with sickness and death and. That's not, that's not all bad. I think in the past, if you look at history, I think that people were a little too comfortable and flippant, mm, perhaps, mm. with death and sickness. It was so normal. Sure. It was so normal for people to, to die yeah. early or for yeah. a child to die, mother to die in childbirth and so on. So mm. I'm not saying, oh, well, you know, I wish we could go back yeah, to that. Yeah, but yeah. I'm just thinking, yo, as, much, as amazing as modern medicine and technology and stuff is, we still have a limited lifespan, right? Our yeah. average life expectancy is still somewhere around the 80-year-old 80, 80 one. one. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's around that. Yeah. And if you look at this particular virus, I mean, there are countries where the average age of death with the Rona was equal to or higher than the average life expectancy. I think you'll find that Australia is one of those examples. Yeah, so even when you're framing these numbers and you're saying, well, X number of people have passed away, I'm not trying to be mean here. No. But I'm like, well, if the average age of death was 82, Mm. then, I mean, firstly, it's highly likely that a significant percentage of those people would have passed away anyway. Mm. Um, But, you know, how many, perhaps a better metric... Or an additional metric would be, okay, how many years of life, yeah. years of potential Pro- life qualities, Quality adjusted lost. life years. Yeah. That's what the life insurance industry uses. Okay. So it, it doesn't just look at absolute years. It also looks at when in your life those years fall. Mm-hmm. Um, so someone in their 20s, each year of their life individually is, is valued more highly than someone who's in their 90s. Yes. Right? Uh, in addition to the fact that obviously they've got a lot more potential years to come. So the life, of, the loss of a 20-year-old life is valued in the insurance industry astronomically higher yeah. than the loss of a 90-year-old. Do you know what's interesting is it also is societally. Yeah. And this is, a, this is one of those uncomfortable ones for mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. But we all know that if a 90-year-old dies mm. and a 20-year-old dies, mm. it doesn't register the same with us as individuals or as society. If someone, The Queen passed away. Yep. Queen of England. One of the most famous go, people in the that's entire sad, world. That's sad, but she that, had a good innings. That, she had a great innings. She was 96, yeah. 97. Yeah. I mean, you can't really and that's, ask that's for... That's not being callous. That's no. not being flippant. It's just recognizing the reality. She had a good innings. Exactly, right? But if... Um, what's his name? I don't, within the royal family. If, God forbid, something happened to uh, you know, one of Prince William's young children, yeah. Yeah. we would recognize... That's a tragedy. That is a tragedy on another that's level. A, that's a tragedy because... You, their life was cut short. It feels mm-hmm. far more unfair. Mm-hmm. Something was cut short. So we, we, we know this in, inherently within ourselves. We recognize that a 20-year-old or a 10-year-old passing away yeah. is not the same as an 80-year-old, a 90-year-old, a 100-year-old. Yes, it's a life, right? 
all lives all lives matter, right? Like it's <laughs> it, it, it's, 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 it's a, a, Kanye West. <laughs> it, 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 it's it's a life, right? Like I, I, it would be nice if I, I say it would be nice if we live forever. Actually, it wouldn't be. Yeah, no, but but there's just this discom there's this real discomfort with yeah. mortality, and I, I I think these types of conversations and insights to me this is like where the real interesting stuff is i'm not sitting here talking about well, you know well, this is the infection the, fatality rate yeah, and this yeah, is yeah. The, you know this number and that number it's like what's really going on at this human level the the first time i really became aware of of just how insulated we are in the west from death was when i was in papua new guinea i was on a medical trip over there um, teaching people in the slums how to just disinfect dog bites and like real basic but you know wash your hands before yeah. you eat your food real basic stuff um and we, we end up heading out of Port Moresby a couple of hours drive down a dirt road to a village called Hula, which is on the south coast. And in that village, we were there spending some time with the villagers. And there on the patio, the porch, they build their, their houses raised up a little bit. Um, they had enough money that they had timber homes, mm-hmm. um, which was a lot better than the slums we saw around Port Moresby, where they just made it out of whatever they could find. Um, and there on, the, on this sort of wooden primitive porch was a cloth laying over a body. Mm-hmm. And um, we sort of obviously noticed it, and uh, we had a local guide who was there, uh, Pastor Maggi, and uh, he said, oh, yes, the you know, grandmother, blah, 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 passed away. Mm. Um, and we're going to be burying her in a couple of days, and they're just getting all that, all that ready. Yeah. And the body lay there, wrapped in a sheet, and there were other people on that porch just keeping you know, flies and birds and animals away yes. from the body. Yeah. Right? And there were kids running around and playing in the village square in sight of... That body, body yeah. you know. And without being morbid, I sort of went, something instinctively inside me tells me that that's healthier mm. than it all happening behind closed doors. And all we see is the sanitised body in an open casket, if even that. Yes. You know, something tells me, it's, it's, it's like, you know, kids that are from farms and from the country just seem to be more grounded. And there's yes. a lot of reasons for that, but I think one of them is because they've had chickens die and they've seen multiple generations of farm-working dogs come and, and, and work and grow old and die. Mm. And they've, they've sent animals off to, to be slaughtered for food and what have you. And I think that there's just this better-adjusted concept of mortality and mm. death and the reality of that. I'm not looking forward to death. Let me be really yeah, clear. Yeah. I don't celebrate death. In, it's, no. it's part of the curse. It's the mm-hmm. consequence of sin. It was not the original design of earth at all. It is the enemy. However, it is also reality. Yes. And we have to come to terms with that. And I think it's far healthier that we do that sort of by the time we're in our 30s and 40s than that we see these people now who are in their 60s and mm-hmm. 70s who are, who are treating masks like they're a, like they're a cross in the, in the exorcist, oh, you yeah. know? Um, yeah, it's, this, that level of fear is, is an incredibly unhealthy way to live. It is. It is. But I think it's also a natural consequence for a lot of people, though, if you think that, if you think that this life is all that there is, mm. and that's it. Mm. So to me, that's where the spiritual angle comes in, because you are going to, if this, if this is literally it, then of course the goal is to extend and preserve as much as even to the detriment of quality of life for yourself and for everybody Others, else. If, yeah. You know, human beings have always, we've always made sacrifices and we always have sure. to make sacrifices. But the question is, what's, what's reasonable? What are the reasonable trade-offs? Because mm. we're always dealing with trade-offs, mm. even though they were pretending that wasn't the case. You know, now people are talking about the cost of living crisis and the economy oh, yeah. and inflation and, oh, inflation. You know, Who mental, saw that me- mental health problems and this and this. And it's oh. like, dude, 
all of us who were trying to talk about this last year and the year before, we were called selfish, mm. grandma killers, mm. anti-science, uncaring. You're putting the economy over human lives. You only care about this. You it's like the economy is the people. Like if we're if no one is doing anything, and 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 what's the point of? And also, if you're not living your life, yeah. if you're what's not living your right, you're just existing. You're mm. sitting in your house. Mm. For 23 hours a day, you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs, messing around on social media or watching Netflix for months and months, years on end in some cases. I'm like, that, that's, not, that's not living life. To give people a sense of scale here, from when I spoke at the very first anti-lockdown protest, which was April 25th, 2020, mm. to when I spoke at the biggest one that happened, which was just after the government stopped cracking down. This was within weeks of the government. You know, they, They'd been pepper spraying us. They'd been shooting us with rubber bits. They'd been hitting us with batons. They'd been doing everything. Um, that was on the 20th of November 2021. If my memory serves me correctly, it was 575 days. Insane. 575 days yeah. that we were essentially on a war footing to mm-hmm. one degree or another mm-hmm. in this state. And we were at war not against a virus, but against a government that had, that had just completely overreacted. Yeah. And all of the spiritual aspects that you talk about, all of the, 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 the cultural implications, the psychological uh, implications, etc., were all at play and, mm. and just laid out. You could just you could watch it all as it unfolded. And my biggest fear is is going back to the spiritual side of things, is that we as a culture and even the church have been complicit in this in many cases. We've rejected God. We've said, Hey God, we don't need you anymore. Yes. We're more sophisticated than that now. You know, primitive men needed you. They invented you mm-hmm. because they felt like they needed you. We're not that anymore. <laughs> and God the scary version is this that God is looking at us and saying, Oh, you don't need me? That's okay. I'll back off for a while. I'll mm-hmm. give you what you want. You want life without God? Okay. I'll just, I'll just be out the back. Yeah. And he's actually giving us what we collectively, culturally said that we wanted. Yeah. And if that's the case, things could get a whole lot darker before they get better. It's a lovely, lovely black pill for us right there. <laughs> um, Sorry about that. Yeah. No, I, I, while we're on this topic, I've got one more, one more point to bring, or, may, or, may, or maybe two more. Another thing that's interesting is from this angle is there's this there's this type of hubris with it as well. Mm. And this is something I sensed from like March, April 2020, where I was just from my own basic knowledge Mm. of viruses and biology. I was Mm. like, well, we can't even stop the cold and the flu if this thing is a respiratory coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Most people are just going to get it. The common you, cold is a, is a type of coronavirus yes, as well. Yes, so I, 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 I mean, I, I, can't yeah, stop that. Exactly. I'm, I'm like, well, I was just like, well, everyone's going to get it. So one reason, I mean, I, I, for myself, I was like, well, I'm going to get it. There's no way I travel as much as I do mm-hmm. and I meet as many mm-hmm. people. And I'm going to get this at some point. Mm-hmm. If I don't get it this year, I'll get it next year. Or the next. Like, I was like, everyone's going to get this. And, yeah. and there was this type of arrogance and humans playing God, I believe, in the idea that especially with the COVID zero stuff, oh. right? Where it was like, we can oh. just stop this thing in its tracks. I was like, that's not how nature works, guys. Yeah. Just, just like we can't just stop earthquakes. Mm. Let's just, I mean, they're trying to stop the hurricanes now, right? They're mm. like, oh my gosh, there's hurricanes. It's like, mm. guys, there's always been hurricanes. Yeah. There, there's earthquakes, there's yeah. flood. We can do what we can. We can take precautions. Mm-hmm. But this idea that we're going to be able to just knock it down to zero... But is but, but insane to me. An impossible target is a bureaucrat and a politician's best friend. Mm. They love impossible targets. Zero road toll. Yeah. How do you argue against zero road toll? 
you, well, you can't. Because, oh, you want people to die on our roads? Is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah. Right? That's the response. So they go, we're going to target a zero road toll. Zero. Well, unfortunately, some people died in our roads this year, so now we have to expand this government program and spend mm. more money over here, and the fines are going to go up, and we're going to be more vigilant about this type of thing, etc. Oh, the following year, turns out people still died on the road. Yes. And so on it goes. So they're getting bigger budgets, bigger departments, more prestige, more importance as bureaucrats. Mm-hmm. And politicians love it too because there's a symbiotic relationship between the bureaucracy and the politicians. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Creating impossible targets has no downside for politicians. And, and I, I couple that. So impossible targets have no downside. Unachievable targets, no downside. Um, also, action mm. has no downside, regardless of whether it's the right action. Yes. There's no downside. Oh, there's a scary virus. Okay, we'll do something. Do something. Okay? What, what is the media screaming out for the government? Do something. Every time there's a tragedy or problem, you should have done something, mm. right? So the government says, oh, okay, we'll do something. Now that they're doing something, they can't lose. Yeah. Because if it turns out to still be really serious and really bad, they go, well, can you imagine how bad it would have been if we hadn't done something? Yep. If it turns out to be a nothing burger, they go, well, it's because we did something. Yeah. You, can, you, know, you can thank me later. Mm-hmm. They can't lose. So impossible targets, which then demand that you do something, are this, this crazy symbiotic relationship that gives governments the power that we see today and has people cheering the chains and the burdens of paying for all of that and dealing with all the increased bureaucracy and complication of life. But governments and politicians and bureaucrats get to just keep doing it over and over again. Yes. Make an impossible target and then do something to meet that impossible target and they cannot lose. And it's interesting because in this particular case, we have controls, right? We have countries, we have states, we have regions we, where there were minimal, if any, of whether it's the lockdowns or it's the, the, the vax or the mask mandates, whatever it is. You've got this whole continent which people like to forget about unless it uh, goes along with their narrative called Africa. Yeah. 54 yeah, countries. I think I've heard of it, yeah, yeah once or twice, yeah. Big, pretty big place. Mm. Um, I think the vaccination rate of the overall continent is under 10%. Mm. Most countries didn't have these types of lockdowns and mask mandates mm. and this and that. Generally, they just got on with life. In the Europe, you have, of course, Sweden. Mm-hmm. I think Belarus as well. Mm. In the USA, you have some of the red states, states, which didn't, mm. you know, red areas in red states, especially, which had in, pretty much nothing. So, in India, what, what, you have different states. This yeah, really so, so in this situation, because some people are like, oh, well, imagine if this, imagine. I'm like, well, we don't have to imagine because we can literally yeah. do a side by side comparison. Yeah. You're never going to get a perfect comparison. Of course not. Because everyone's got different population density, different age demographics, so on yep. and so forth. But we can see pretty clearly, like if there was a, if say, for example, lockdowns were extremely effective Mm. or masks, cloth masks were extremely effective Mm -hmm. or whatever was, if that were the case, it would be very clear. You'd you'd really easily be able to just see within the same place and certainly comparing them go, okay, look, this place did lockdowns, this place didn't. And just look, look at this. Or, or even better, this collection of places did it, and this, these ones did it. It wouldn't be a trend. There'd be a step change. It, 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 it there'd would be, be a huge. clear differentiation. Yeah, you wouldn't be looking at it being like, uh, yeah. I'm not right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would be very, yeah. very clear. And you certainly wouldn't find what has been found by some studies, which is actually an inverse yeah, correlation, exactly. which I suspect is just a st- statistical fluke. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, you shouldn't see that if it was actually effective. You wouldn't get a statistical fluke in the no. wrong direction if there was actually a substantial uh, difference in the right direction. 
And, but what we're not seeing is politicians being punished. No. This is, this is what I say. They, they is no, there is no downside to them doing something, mm-hmm. even if that something turns out to be wrong or ineffective. From a political point of view, it's always the smart play. Yeah, absolutely. Why did you get arrested? <laughs> um, okay, so here in, in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, um, we had these rules to leave home. Four rules, um, critical care, giving to others that needed care, going and seeking medical care of your own, unnecessary shopping and exercise and getting out of domestic situations and, and that sort of you know, critical sort of stuff. That was it. And if you left your home for any other reason or if you went more than five kilometres from your home, even if it was for one of those reasons, uh, then you could get yourself into quite a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, people weren't particularly thrilled about that and I was one of the people who looked at it and went this is utterly absurd and this is doing far more harm than good and the the damage that we're doing to people's lives is just off the charts compared to the benefit that's coming from this not to mention it's a flagrant human rights violation yes. uh, and, and shouldn't even, even if it could be argued from a utilitarian perspective it still should not be accepted purely on a human rights perspective mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that our government is meant to be a servant and not a master so I began speaking out as early as March 2020. I began speaking out online. I began, I spoke at the very first protest, which was only the second protest in my life, by the way. Oh, no, sorry, third protest in my life, by the way. I'm not a regular protester. Yeah. I'm not one of those sort of rabble. <laughs> um, and, and I went and I spoke. I was invited to speak because someone had seen one of the videos that I, I released in March. On April 25th, 2020, as a 38-year-old man, I walked out my front door for the first time in my life intending to break the law. Mm. Law-abiding citizen, completely mm-hmm. clean record, great relationship with the police. I've been mm-hmm. an eyewitness and given testimony and done all sorts of stuff to help the police over the years. I've turned in lost property, people's wallets and purses, and over the journey of, four, of 38 years of life, I'd had a great relationship with police, always positive. And um, then to, to then turn around and go, I'm now going to walk out into a situation where I'm likely to end up in confrontation with the police, and I'm going to consciously go, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to do that. So I went and spoke at the first protest. The police didn't really know what to do, so they kind of backed off, gave us some time and said, hey, we're coming back in an hour. If you're still here, then we'll make arrests. Yeah. So we were gone, right? We made sure we were. One thing led to another, and the protests began to become regular and, and the police began to become violent, uh, and arrests began of people that were speaking out and saying, hey, we should be protesting. We saw that with Zoe Bueller, the pregnant mum mm-hmm. that was arrested in her own home. That went around the world Famous for good video. reason. Yep. It was just it was mind-blowing to see that happen in my own state. But there were so many more violent arrests, people's front doors being knocked in with those poles to, to, to knock in a front door and then go and, and tackle them to the ground. I mean, it was, it was nuts. Um, and one by one, all the people that isn't, were speaking Isn't that out. how you behave, though, if you're afraid of a virus? Well, well that's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just have a boom. <laughs> <laughs> Tackling people, getting all in there, yeah. And so one by one, all of the people that were speaking out and encouraging people to protest mm-hmm. were arrested. Okay. So, so my concern became, because so many of these people that were urging others to protest had now been arrested and their bail conditions were such that if they spoke out again, like, that was it, they were just in prison, no, no chance of bail until a court hearing, which could be a year away, wow. right? That was, the, that was how high the stakes were. And as I was at the protest, so I wasn't yet urging people to attend the protests. I was speaking out about the lockdowns and the policies. I was speaking out about the science, not that I'm a scientist, but I could find properly researched, properly published research that was contradictory to what we were being told. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was republishing that and so forth. But I wasn't yet urging people to protest, but I was attending the protests. And one of the things that became crystal clear to me was that it was a pure, pure numbers game. There were a lot of people that were concerned about the tactics or the this or the that. Okay, all of that's important, but if you don't have the numbers, nothing else matters. Okay. And so as I saw more and more of these people being arrested and fewer and fewer people with an audience 
willing to speak out because I'd already been a political commentator for 10 years. I yeah. had an audience. I, it was, I think it was early 2021. I just kind of took a deep breath and went, all right, looks like I'm next. Yeah. Looks like it's my turn, you yeah. know. Um, and so I began to... Exp- and I didn't, I, didn't half, I didn't half do it. I went for it, mm. right? I literally just said, okay, guys, yeah, you heard me right. I am urging you to get out there and join the protest. I'll be there if I'm not arrested between now and then. You'll see me there. I want to see you there, etc. I was explicit. I went as far on one occasion as to saying, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm inciting. I'm inciting people <laughs> to exercise their human rights because that's the charge yeah. that they were bringing. Yeah. You're inciting people to break the law, to mm. break the chief health officer's directions, right? And that's how they would shut people down. And so I knew from the moment I did that for the first time, I'd just painted a massive target on my back and that was it. They were coming for me sooner or later. Turned out to be later rather than sooner, which okay. it, it almost got a bit. It almost got a bit to the point where I'm like, "Am, am I? Am I nothing? Am I? Like, <laughs> am I not achieving any? Like, <laughs> what's wrong with me?" <laughs> go um, but at the same time, it was also like it was. It was one of the darkest chapters for me of my life, sort of mentally, because there were a few different things happening there. And I, you heard a bit about this when we did Battleground Melbourne Live at the CPAC conference. Um, where I, because of my, I had a bit of a following and people were reaching out to me and sharing their stories and it was devastating. Mm. Like the, this idea that they could just hibernate the economy and people would be fine. Oh, we'll just have, we'll give them a bit of a disaster payment and everyone will be fine. No, people were taking their own lives. Yes. Um, marriages were falling apart. People were losing all of their life savings. And you talked before about how the economy is people's lives. When someone loses, I don't know, $50,000 in savings, right, they haven't lost money. They've lost the years that they spent earning that money and putting it away. Mm-hmm. And they've lost that future that that $50,000 was going to pay for, yes. be it for their kids, for themselves, for their retirement, whatever it was going to be. That's what they've lost. Mm-hmm. The dollars are a means to an end and a representation of all the work that they've done, and that's what they've lost. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm watching this devastation happen. I've got people pouring their hearts out to me via email, via inboxing me in, in Facebook and YouTube and everything else. And I'm locked in my own home as well with yeah. all the lockdowns. Not that I obeyed them. I was still taking my son out to parks every sure. day despite the fact that they were closed and all that sort of stuff. But there's that ever-present stress of, okay, you know, I could get caught doing that. And then just the reality that I know sooner or later they're going to roll up and arrest me. And I've seen the videos of how they've arrested other people. Yeah. I know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a dad. I've got two kids. Um, and so we, we had to restructure our life around the anticipation that the police were coming. Yes. So I had to teach my son not to be anywhere near the front door if there was a knock. Instead of going to, the, oh, you know, kids, I want to know who's at the door, who's yeah, at the door, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. blah, right? And you've got to yell at them, don't open the door, wait till mm. I get there, blah, 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 right? I had to train my son to head to the back of the house. Seth. Because the next thing that might happen is wham, and the door flies open, and in come six men in body armor, and mm. you know that's that they did that to other people, and and I had no reason to think they wouldn't do that to me, you know, just a car door on the street at six o'clock in the morning because I love coming early in the morning, you know, bang, I'm wide awake, mm-hmm. I ain't going back to sleep today, like that's it. I, the, the, you wake up with a shot of adrenaline in, yes. in your body. And then all the way through the day, I'm reading other people's stories and I'm trying to be there for them because they're reaching out to me. Why? Because they've run out of other options. Yeah. I'm not someone, so I'm not the person someone reaches out to it first. Was, it was crazy, dude. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I can relate to that. I got messages from hundreds, thousands from yeah. all around the world. Yeah, yeah all around no, the world, no yeah. doubt, no doubt. And so that became sort of my life and, and it dragged on for a very, very long time. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I ended up drinking a lot of alcohol just to kind of sort of numb 
the the psychological sort of the anticipation, the trauma, the help me to deal with other people's stories, help me to be able to actually write something back to them that might give them something to hold on to without selling false hope, but just a reason to continue. As a side note, before I finish the, the story of how I got arrested, it's one of the most beautiful things about my life right now. Uh, I'm travelling around with the documentary Battle Brain Melbourne. We're in cinemas at the moment, and I'm going and doing director's talks in places. And the number of people that have come up and given me a hug and said, thank you, yeah. is one of the absolute blessings of my life right now. <clears throat> so anyway, there I was in that situation. My wife and I, we prepared a four-page document for my wife to follow in the event of my arrest with a bunch of contingency plans because we didn't know exactly how it was going to go. We had one set of contingencies for if uh, the arrest was mild and the bail conditions were reasonable and I could just accept them and come home, yes. right? That was the best case scenario. We had another contingency for if the bail conditions were unreasonable and I couldn't accept them and I had to just say, no, I'm staying in prison and we're going we're to fight over these bail conditions. Yes. We had another contingency for if I was hospitalised. And that included all the people she needed to contact. Um, you know, after this many days, if you haven't heard from me, then this, 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 da, da, da. Right, mm. a four-page sort of tree of actions on, you know, actions on contact with the enemy. Um, and I had to do that. I mean, this is, this is stuff that drug lords do. Yeah. Right? I had to make full off-site backups of everything on my computer and everything on my phone. Because one of the things I loved doing to other people, Monica Smith and, and uh, Nick Patterson and others, is they take all your electronics. Mm. Right? And they, they hope that you don't have backups, so you yes. can't just buy a new phone and, and, and restore. And therefore, they've just taken away from you all of your contacts, the, the lawyer's phone number that you saved, all that stuff, it's gone. You don't have any of that anymore. All the, all the other PR people that you would have reached out to, uh, you don't have access to them anymore. So we had to make all of those plans. For me, as a political commentator turned human rights activist under yes. the circumstances, that was never my ambition, but that's what I became. I had to basically prepare like I was a drug lord and, uh, and prepare my family for my arrest. Now, mercifully, when the arrest came, I, I was very, very fortunate with the actual officers involved and the officer in charge of all of that. And they actually went out of their way to make it as undramatic as possible. I'll give you one example. They actually called me on the phone twice before they knocked on the door. Now, I've learned over years of being a public figure, you don't answer your phone unless you've got the number saved, right? Mm. And this is actually a private number. So I ignored it. Rang a second time, I ignored it again. A little while later, knock on the door. Not a, not a big bang, on, yeah. just, a, just a knock on the door. And I, we, we activated, as we always did for any knock on the door. My wife answers the door, um, and I have the phone ready to start live streaming in case it is the police, and my son's at the back of the house. Um, and she answered, and my son had come running up anyway. And, um, and she answered, and then, you know, yeah, it was the police. So she calls me, and I hit go on the live stream. And so I live streamed my arrest. But honestly, they could not have done more to make it less dramatic yeah. and I think, I think those officers involved in, in my arrest and in my case are very well aware of the possibility that they might be on the wrong side of history. I'm not going to put words into their mouth and say that they, they, they accept that but I think they're aware of the possibility yes. and, and they're trying to act somewhat carefully and, and yeah, try to minimise the impact on the family. As it was it ended up being the best case scenario. They took me down to the station, they put bail conditions in front of me that were as literally they couldn't have done less. Yes. Right, they could not have had any more minimal bail conditions. Uh, and so I signed them. I was home with the family later that same day. Two charges of incitement. So these are criminal charges that mm -hmm. carry a criminal record, um, which could affect future travel to the US and various other things. Uh, those charges were laid in late 2021, and now the next hearing isn't until 2023, and it could drag on okay. uh, from there. So that's sort of the story of the arrest. It ends up being undramatic, but 
I got to tell you that that year, that or not quite a year from when I made the decision, I was stepping, I was crossing the Rubicon. Yeah. Just going, okay, I am going to start telling people to protest, and I know what that means, mm. and I know what's coming for me. Until the day when it finally came, that was easily the darkest chapter of my life. Yeah, I hear that, man. Well, congrats on you on getting through that, and not just getting through that, but being being a genuine inspiration for people in your city, in your state, in your country, and around the world. Because mm-hmm. my experience of the past two and a half years was similar in many ways, mm-hmm. but also very different in many ways to yourself and to other people. Because I actually traveled to eight different countries yeah, right. during it, and dozens of different cities. So I saw and experienced firsthand this very bizarre comparison and contrast there was this similarity of oh my gosh no matter where i go there's this same weird mindset and these silly arbitrary rules and it's not making sense they're all using the same phrases even in different languages and this is so weird but then also i did go to some places where i was like wait it's like normal yeah okay this is normal here and then you're seeing what's going on out there i'm seeing videos of what's happening in melbourne and what's happening in toronto and what's happening there and i'm like wait everything's just normal here though (laughs) people are gathering and having parties and nightclubs are full and so on so it was it was very weird but because of that i think so many people who were questioning around the world were looking for people in whatever country and locality who were speaking up who were questioning things who were advocating in their various ways. And so I think being a part of that and continuing to be is important. And that's why people come up, will come up to you yeah. in person or online and just say, thank you, thanks, thanks for speaking up, thanks for letting me know I wasn't alone, that I wasn't crazy, yeah. that, you know, I got... Everyone has a story, right? You hear them. People yeah. lost family members, yeah. well, were pushed away by family members, yeah. lost friends that they've had for a long time. So many people lost their jobs because mm-hmm. they didn't want to comply with certain mandates and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. People unable to travel, not be, uh, being dis- distanced from their boyfriend mm-hmm. or their girlfriend or their child who lives. Mm-hmm. I know people in the USA and UK who have family in Australia or in New Zealand. And they they can't can't go see them. them. They can't go Mm -hmm. see them. Children Mm -hmm. are born. Oh, I haven't met my grandchild because they're over there. Just all of these crazy stories Mm -hmm. and this whole human element of it has been... We we can't allow it to just be glossed over. No. I think that's why your documentary is so important. That's why... Although I think we both, in a way, want to just move on, right? Everyone kind of wants to move on. But I'm like, that's dangerous if people don't reflect yeah. and learn certain lessons, which I would argue they already should have learned from history. <laughs> but I think one of the problems with how we learn history mm. is we learn about what happened and when, but we don't really learn about why. Mm. What was the psychology? I, I would add the who. And the who, right. yeah. So I've got someone very grumpy with me online at the moment. I'm sure you get this from time to time, people that really hang, oh, yeah, yeah. grab onto yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They really <laughs> want to be angry with you. I made the point that... that I actually now personally know people in Melbourne who, if they had been born at the right time in Europe, oh they, they would have stood on the guard towers 100%. 100%. Right? And then they would have gone to church on Sunday and said their prayers and gone home and made love to their wife and then gone back to stand on the guard towers on Monday. 100%. Right? And, and this person got absolutely... is mm-hmm. obsessed with this. He's like, oh, you're, you're, trying to, you know, you're trying to compare us to Nazis and blah, blah, blah. And, and what I said, and this is what they've now latched onto, is I'm not saying that the people in Melbourne are evil. Yes. 
I'm saying that the people who stood on the guard towers, many of them, yes. were not actually evil. Yes. They were obedient. Ordinary men. They were ordinary men, correct. And, and this person's like latched onto that. And of course. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Uh, which is all very entertaining. And I use them to feed the beast. Because they, they keep coming back. So you yeah. comment, they comment, you yeah. comment. The algorithm goes, oh, this is a good thread. Mm. We're going to push this out to more people. Um, but, but this is the, the hubris and the who of history is mm. so important. To understand that it's so often it's the obedient that cause the real devastation. The evil megalomaniac would only be able to cause very limited damage were it not for the army of obedient people that they Clients. enjoy at their, at their uh, disposal. That's what this is about. Yep, I love you know, it. Good people <laughs> break bad laws. Yeah. And this became, this is, if you'd said to me a few years ago that I'd be living by this motto, I would have laughed at you because it just <laughs> it seems so offensive. But now, having lived through what I've lived through, I realise, let's put, let's put it the other way. Good people obey bad laws. Oh, whoa, 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 mm-hmm. whoa, you're going to run out of good people real mm-hmm. quick. You're not going to have any good people left. Mm-hmm. Good people have to break bad laws. And people say to me, oh, we can't have everyone running around deciding which laws they're going to obey and which yeah. laws they're not. No, 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 hang on. God gave us each a conscience. Mm-hmm. And we actually have the responsibility to do exactly that, to be discerning and determining where the government is acting within its God-given mandate to reward good and punish evil mm-hmm. and where it's overstepped its bounds mm-hmm. and has now become the oppressor, has become the source of evil, at which point we have a duty to stand up to it and that's what this is about and this is very much a a consequence of very real world lessons of the last two and a half years I think one of the worst things they fundamentally did over the past few years is they made it illegal to be normal right they made living a normal life Mm -hmm. doing your normal everyday peaceful activities Mm -hmm. and duties Mm -hmm. they made that illegal in multiple countries and that fundamentally really really broke something Mm -hmm. Coming back to the point you were making earlier, just touching again on this, mm. on this psychology and how it relates to history. So one, one difference between our experiences over the past two and a half years is despite all the places and countries I traveled to, I had zero interactions with police. Yeah, right. None. Hmm. And what's interesting is all of the nonsense that I did have to deal with was with fellow citizens. Yeah, right. Right. It was it was it wasn't oh the the police and the direct authorities or yeah. it was the authoritarianism and the wish to play certain roles of mm-hmm. whether you're talking about the the uh, flight attendants on yeah. the yeah. plane or you're talking about the person standing at the front of the restaurant or you're talking about this person there or this the the person the person in the gym I had a situation where. I'll, this is actually an interesting story. I don't think I've told it on a podcast before. I think it's worth telling um, because this goes into the psychology. This is just last year. So this mm. is, I want to say, around September 2021. Okay. I was in Los Angeles, uh, October 2021. I'm in Los Angeles. So that's fairly you know, somewhat late in the game. Mm. Um, but they still have their mask mandates and, and so on. I went to the gym in a hotel, big gym. Um, I, 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 I'm staying at the hotel for about 10 days. Yeah. I've been training every day, haven't had a problem, whatever. I go into the gym. Gym is empty. Mm-hmm. Um, except one guy in the corner on one of the treadmills and the young attendant, maybe about the early 30s, yeah. um, young, young black American guy who's at the reception. Yeah. 
I go in, you know, say hello, and he's like, um, sir, do you have a mask? And I was like, no, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't have one. And he's like, uh, you, you, have, you, have, you, know, you, you, have, you have to wear a mask. Um, and I'm like, I've been, I've been here for the past few days, never had a problem with this, there's no one here, whatever, mm-hmm. like, you know. And then he was like, yeah, if you're, if you're going to be lifting, he's like, are you doing cardio or weights? And I know they, in, in L.A., the mandate was if you're doing cardio, you don't have to wear a mask. If you're in the gym or lifting weights, any other, if you're, if you're physically, if you're doing cardio, you don't have to wear a mask any other time you have. To. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to use the treadmill. And he's like, okay. So I go and I actually do start on the treadmill. So I just do 10, 15 minutes cardio. And then I go and I start my main workout. I'm mm-hmm. in the gym. It, the gym is bigger, bigger than the room we're sitting in. Yeah. Um, so, and, and again, it's empty. So I'm there, I'm doing some pull-ups and I see out of my, peri- I've got my headphones in, I see out the peripheral, he's kind of, you know, he's stood up and walked and he's, he's standing beside me waiting for me to finish so that he can, so I, I finish my set of pull-ups, I take the earpiece out and he's like, he's like, sir, you have to wear a mask. And I'm like, and, I, and I, I'm very calm, very calm collected. I said, why? And he said, um, because, because that's the rule. Said, why? Um, because of COVID. I say, I say, do you have COVID? He says, no, and I'm double vaccinated. And he said, and I assume you are too. I said, okay, I don't have COVID either. So what's the problem? Mm. And he goes, well, um, I, you, can, you can see the wheels turning. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah, see the wheels yeah. turning now, right? <laughs> um, and he's, well, he's like, well, you know, I don't, I don't make the rules, but there's, oh, there's a mandate and so That's on. That's a great defense. And I'm it? like, look, I, I was like, look, I understand. I'm not... I, I said, has anyone complained? Has anyone made a complaint? Any other, you know, there's, there's no one else in the gym. Has anyone mm-hmm. else made a He's like, no, no, no one's made a complaint or anything. It's just that, you know, it's my job to make sure you're following the rules. I said, I understand that, but why does the rule exist? Think about it. Like, why does the rule exist? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just having a one-to-one, you know, just yeah. chatting to you, to him on a level, my, yeah. my fellow human being, um, you know, wh- and just making him think. And eventually, it, this went on for about 15 minutes, mm-hmm. right? And I said, Why? Why? Mm. But why? Mm. Does that make sense mm. to you? Mm. Does that make? And I got him to firstly concede that none of it made sense, mm. right? That he wasn't worried about the Rona. And I also said, look, you know, if you were, we're, we're clearly none of us are, you know, we're, this. If one of us were sick, this interaction right here, where we've been standing next to each other for 15 minutes at this point, this would have been <laughs> where, you know. So I eventually got him to concede that the whole thing didn't make sense, and you know, eventually he he left me alone. But it was just, it was interesting because I could see. He himself had just been probably at this point for a year and a half, just in this loop of repeating these things and doing these things without, I don't think he himself really thinking, really thinking about what is it that I'm doing? What am, why am I saying what I'm saying? What am I playing into? And how is that affecting other people? I had the same thing when I was in Mexico. I mean, in L.A., I got kicked out of a couple of restaurants because I wouldn't wear a mask. Had the same thing in, um, in, in Mexico. Really? Where, yeah. I thought it, Mexico were pretty good overall. They were in terms of there weren't a lot of rules, like right. as, as in to enter the country, right? right? It was right, one of the few right, countries right. you didn't need a test to enter right. or anything, yeah. but the people were there, super brainwashed, super yeah, brainwashed. Yeah, like they're yeah, still right. wearing masks right now. Yeah. They just dropped the mask mandate there la- uh, last week. Yeah, okay. They just dropped it last week. Mm. So, yeah, but I, there were places, literally, I'm outside. Mm. I'm outside, outdoor dining. Mm. The table is six steps away from me. And they don't want to let me walk to the table without putting them, just that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm like, por qué, por qué? And they're like, ah, oh, las reglas, las reglas, the rules, the rules. And I'm just like, and, and it's weird because you're going from country to country, city to city. And you're just like, 
guys, why are you doing this? And again, this is not the police. This is not the authorities. This is, I was like, this is the problem. This is the problem. It's the enforcement that people, citizen on citizen, right? I'm like, do you not understand? If you all, you think it's stupid, I think it's stupid. If we all think it's stupid, right? Just stop. Yeah. Stop. Just stop doing yeah. this. Figure or it out. We, right? <laughs> we just go on forever and ever. So, so it was interesting. So the, these are some of the things that made me just really like dwell on some of the like, what is, what is at play here? Mm. What, what is it at play? Why are people both on the compliance side, but perhaps more interestingly on the, on the enforcement side? Yeah. Right. And I get the thing of people not wanting to lose their jobs. But there were situations where, like, that's not even a concern. Yeah, it's, it's but, a but, but the person still wants to, yeah. you know, or that, the person in the store who wants to shout at the, someone for not wearing a mask or who wants to do this. It, it's just like, just, bro, just leave people be. <laughs> but that's, I mean, you're, you're a libertarian, so am I. And yeah. so that makes perfect sense. That is a default position, makes yeah. perfect sense. There are people, and, and you know, they supposedly, approximately 1% of all people born have psychopathic tendencies. Yes. Uh, and supposedly, somewhere around 20% of people born have authoritarian tendencies. They mm-hmm. may not want to be the psychopath at the top, but once they're given a set of rules, you know, we've all seen these people, they're given a tiny little bit of power. Anything. But boy, will they defend that bit of power and exercise that bit of power. And it's just a psychological disposition. Mm. And, and we see th- that being rewarded through all of this. These people, this was a dream come true yes. for these people. And that's what we sort of talked about before with the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Un- unraveling that, how do you get people to come down from that? I'm not sure that you can. Uh, Topher, what is next for you, man? Well, uh, Battleground Melbourne Live. So that's where uh, myself and a couple of others, uh, I'm calling us survivors now. I don't know what else to call us. Mm. But, but a couple of other survivors of the Battleground Melbourne era, uh, 2020-21 here in Melbourne. We were live on stage at CPAC Australia. It was very, very well received. I, I think the world needs to see and hear and understand what happened here. Because it's so shocking that it seems unbelievable. I, I can understand why people go, it couldn't have been that bad. Mm-hmm. That must just be an isolated incident. It can't be representative of what happened. No, it's, this, this happened. Yes. This is real. It happened in Australia, not you know, Venezuela, not Botswana, yeah. not Russia. It happened in Australia. And it can very much happen anywhere. And we're seeing, you, you, you're absolutely right, the psychology was so consistent mm-hmm. all around the world. What was different was that we had what I believe to be a genuine psychopath as the, the um, state premier. Yes. Um, and I don't say that in the Hollywood sense of psychopath. No, he's a bad I dude. I mean in, the, in, the, in the, the, the medical, psychological sense of a psychopath. Um, and so we went further than others, but there's nothing magical about us and there's nothing magical about you or America or Canada, as we've seen, mm-hmm. that stops it from happening there. But there are some important lessons that we learned. Um, you know, there's a lot that could be said about that, but the focus of Battleground Melbourne Live is to allow more of these stories to come out. Obviously, I got to tell a bunch of stories in Battleground Melbourne, the documentary, Mm -hmm. which has won 10 awards internationally now and can be seen for free at battlegroundmelbourne.com. Watch it. (laughs) Um, But Battleground Melbourne Live brings out other stories. It puts puts these stories live on stage in front of whatever audience we can can find. And I think it hits different. Mm. and the real theme, the real message that I'm trying to bring through Battleground Melbourne Live is we're ordinary people, yes. right? And there were four of us on stage, Crystal Mitchell, Carly Soderstrom, myself and Matthew Lawson. We're ordinary people. There was nothing special about us you know, before COVID or even during COVID except 
for the decisions that we made. Yes. We made decisions to stand up for what was right, even when it was our government that was wrong. We came to the realisation that good people break bad laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find real hope in that. I find real encouragement in that because there are ordinary people everywhere, by definition. You know, ordinary yeah, yeah. people are the most common variety <laughs> out there, right? Of course. And if ordinary people could stand up in Melbourne and do what I saw them do, then that actually gives me hope yes. for everywhere. Um, and I want to get that message out to, to the world. I mean, I know that's sort of, that's a, what does that mean? I, I don't no, know what it, it means. It, yeah. you know, but but I, I want to get these people, these survivors on stage in front of audiences every chance I get to tell their stories and to bring that message of, hey, ordinary person in the audience, if you're willing to make those courageous decisions, then you're looking at yourself yes. up here on stage. This is you. The only difference is... Are you willing to make those decisions? And I think that's a question we need to be asking ourselves now because as much as the last two and a half years have been tough, I think we're going to be faced with some, some tough decisions to make in the future. And we need ordinary people to be willing to stand up and do the extraordinary things. So for me, Battleground Melbourne Live, that's my focus. I do have a book in the works called Good People Break Bad Laws. It's mm. a little bit autobiographical, a little bit historical because obviously there's been a long history of civil disobedience and people that have, not that they used these words, but they, they live by this motto. Um, and and uh, that book will be coming out probably early in 2023. Topher, it's been so good talking to you, man. I've got so much respect for everything you're doing Thank and you. have been doing. I don't say that lightly at all. Um, you. As you said, I think it's a down to, quote-unquote, ordinary people doing extraordinary things, and mm-hmm. that's, how, that's how heroes are made, essentially. It's how we change the world. Absolutely, man. So where can people find and follow you online? Sofafield.net is my blog, um, but I'd really recommend find me on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Telegram. There's probably a few others in there that I've forgotten. Um, But most importantly, battlegroundmelbourne.com. So you can watch the documentary for free online anywhere in the world. Uh, It is suitable for older teenagers, 15 and above. Uh, There's some language in there. There's certainly a lot of violence in there, and there's some pretty heavy themes in there, so I wouldn't be having my, my younger kids watching it, but... I think there's really important lessons in there for anyone who's sort of 15 and above. Uh, and it's, it's completely for free. I just want the world to see this, to hear the stories, to understand what happened to us. And, and if anyone does, then watch that and go, hey, tell me more about Battleground Melbourne live. Mm-hmm. Uh, then reach out to me uh, at tofer at toferfield.net uh, is the best way to get in touch. I'd be very happy to hear. Awesome. Topher, so good to talk to you, man. Appreciate Cheers. it. Cheers. Appreciate it. Stick with the slang, stick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand. Stunt me, you're destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang. Y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.